Welcome, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, La Land. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? Oh, what am I thankful for? Um... Oh, food, uh, sleep, uh, friends, uh, I always say the same sunshine. thing. Sunshine, yeah, I guess. Um, spending time with people, um, watching basketball. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just, I, I can't think of anything specific. Shell's laughing at us. You've been us. doing this for too long, Lord. I know. What I, you need to do is part of your uh, show preparation time is to sit down and spend some time thinking, okay, let me think of something Wait, no, no, that no, no, I, I gotta, haven't been thankful for before. I got it. So Lyle always picks really silly, mundane things to be thankful for. So, oh, I'm thankful for chopsticks. Chops, there you the go. Chopsticks, now you have something great to eat, tool so to eat with. I, I really like, they're so easy to clean, which is great. Right. Like they're easier than a fork. Um, and, and they're great. And yeah. I ate a meal with chopsticks yesterday and it was really, really awesome. I don't, I don't find them so easy with soup. Well, you don't eat soup with chopsticks, Lyle. <laughs> you pick the bowl up and put it to your mouth. Which actually, which actually <laughs> makes the most sense when it comes to eating soup. Whoever invented spoons? Yeah, why that's right. We, why can't we just pick up the bowl? <laughs> and put it straight to the mouth, guys. This is, this is, let's start a cultural revolution. Yes, absolutely. Agree. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. As we launch into our show today, Lawson is going to bring you the 100-point question for the quiz. Everybody should be able to get this one. What have you got for us, Lawson? All right, for 100 points, what wicked city did God pair with Sodom? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. If you know the answer, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker. But again, that question was, what wicked city did God pair with Sodom? 0491-064-669. Give okay. us a call. Give us a text. Answer we the would, question We correctly. would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lawson, tell us some uh, positively different news this morning. Okay. So, Lyle, I've been watching lots of basketball lately. Yes. And so it's it's about time that I do a positively a, a new story about basketball. Something positively different. Trust okay, me. So, so Lawson has some American friends and they have let him down the, the basketball rabbit hole. Yes, and, that's right. And he's now getting hooked. Yeah, now hooked on basketball. I was kind of already I was already into it. Like I had my, my team in the NBA is the Utah Jazz. Um but no, I have an amazing so You already had a team. Yeah, yeah. But then now I'm like more into it. But anyways, hey, no, no, I want to focus on a person, a specific player in the NBA whose name is Bismack Biombo. Okay. Bismack Biombo is... African background? Congolese. Yes. He's from the DRC. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, is a basketball player in the NBA. Yep. Um, but before he was a basketball player in the NBA, he was living in Congo. And now, if you live in Congo, you are usually very poor and struggling. Yes, this is the- a developing country that is... Uh- um, in deep poverty. In deep poverty, often war-torn, often struggling. Um, uh, Bismack, he comes from a Christian family in Congo, um, and they they saw all of a sudden their, their son grow to, you know, 204 centimetres tall. That's, and they were, up there. And they were like, well, this could potentially be an opportunity, and so they put all their money into giving him uh, the ability to play basketball in Congo. 
Um, and like growing up, you know, going through high school and whatnot. And then at the age of 16, him and his dad go over to Yemen to play basketball. Um, just because it's like where they could afford to go and it was closer to Yemen. the West than Africa was. And riddled by warfare yep. and at least five different warlords fighting each other. That's right. And no stable government of anything. Correct. It's like the most dangerous place in the world to go. Yep. And going over there, especially as someone as professedly Christian as he is, like in a Muslim country playing basketball, like they had a lot of struggles and run-ins. But he got scouted from Yemen to then go play in Spain. And this is like when he was... 18, 19, you know, he's he's doing this. And so then him and his dad move over to Spain. They've left the family behind. He has, like, brothers oh, and siblings. they done this. Yeah, so I yeah, know what it's like. He goes, moves over to Spain and starts playing in Spain. Uh, he plays in Spain for one year and then gets scouted to the NBA. Like, he gets scouted um, in Spain and uh, he gets drafted into the NBA into the Charlotte Bob- Bobcats. All right. So this was in 2011, 2012. He gets drafted into the NBA. Um, on Initially, he signed a four-year deal, uh, which was worth $12 million, which is like he's never seen money like this. This is like insane. Um, he's on an average salary of about $3 million a year. Um, but his stats at this time are pretty average, you know, averaging like five, six points a game, which is, you know, uh, like... Not terrible, I, not great, or is that it's, not great? I would say, like, yeah, mid to low. Like, there okay. is there are some people, like, averaging, like, two points a game. But, like, if you're on, if you're at that level, like, you're about to be booted. Fall off the edge. So, he's, like, four, four, to, four to six points averaging, playing as a center. It's not like he's a point guard or something where his job is to shoot. His job is to be really tall and run the ball down the field and pass it to people who can shoot. But also, you know, good centers can also shoot, but he's not kind of at that level. So anyways, plays four years for the Charlotte Bobcats, then gets drafted to the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Raptors that year in 2015-16, he's on like a salary that was less than before. And it's like, oh, is he, you know, where's he going in his career? All of a sudden the Raptors get like third in the championship. Okay. And they're like, you know, a lot of that praise goes to him. And so he gets picked up by the Orlando Magic. For 72... I know none of these names, but anyway... Just just, just listen. Gets picked up by another team. He gets picked up by the Orlando Magic for $72 million, like for a four-year contract. So that's an average salary of $18 million a year. So all of a sudden, this guy gets the big break, like the big money. He goes to the Orlando Magic after this one successful year in uh, Toronto, goes to the Orlando Magic, and then just struggles... Like, big time. Yeah, because that can mess with your head. And it did. And he gets traded out of the Orlando Magic only two years into his contract, back to Charlotte, spend some time at Charlotte, you know, declining figures to the point where then in 2020, um, he's playing and his dad gets sick. And so he decides to go into free agency and play way less games. Uh, basically, where he's not um, under contract to a club. He's doing, like, under a multi-year deal. Um, he goes into free agency, which is then, like, he's barely playing games. Um, I think he played, like, that year over the 2020-2021 season, he played, like, less than 20 games um, mm-hmm. because he devotes all his time to caring for his sick father, who would eventually die. Um, in, in August 2021, uh, his father passes away. And at this time, you know, um, for Biombo, like, he's seen every side. He's seen great success and he's seen great struggle um, in his NBA career. Um, you know, when you get traded halfway through your contract, especially as, as you know, a, a contract as big as like a four-year, $72 million contract, it's basically saying, like, the club doesn't believe in you and so they're giving you away to someone else. Yeah, that's right. You've fallen off the edge. That's right. And, and so it's it's struggle. 
And now he's at the point where he's ended up in free free agency. Um, and, and when it comes to high level sports, I mean, you know, this this kind of stuff would mess with your head, and you can mm. sort of see what's happened once the you know once he gets a really big contract, it seems like it messes with his head. Yeah, how much? How much is high-level sports about where your head is at as compared to what your skill level is? Yeah, I I think it's, it's like, literally, fitness when it comes to sports, like basketball and all that stuff is, like, one thing, athletic ability. Yes. But it's mostly Athletic ability is entirely controllable. You go out and exercise, right? Yeah. But your head's a different kind of kettle of fish, isn't it? If your head's not in the right place... Then you're struggling. If your head's not in the right place, do you ride well? Uh, no, you don't do anything well. You don't do anything well. You don't think well. You don't speak well. You don't do anything well. Um, and to the point, like, it got for him to where, like, he's signing, as a free agent, he's signing 10-day contracts. So they'll, a basketball team will pay him to play for 10 days in the NBA. And then, like, you know, these it's a pretty successful 10 days, but contracts like that are few and far between. Um, but ultimately... Um, just recently, he got picked up by the Phoenix Suns, which is a very, very good team. Like, they're at the top of the, the Western table at the moment. We're about to go into the playoffs. Um, for for a, He got a one-year, $1.3 million deal, which is, like, good for someone this late into their career and with the stats that he has. But he's decided, with all future contracts from this point, to donate the entire entirety of his contract to building hospitals in the Congo. That's amazing. I was wondering when you're going to get to this part of the story. Yeah. Because I could just I could just see it coming. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a guy that would have, you know, back in the Congo, his parents were probably earning a dollar a day. Yeah. And now he's getting multi-million dollar contracts. That's right. What does a Christian do in that kind of situation? How do they respond? This is what I like to see. That's right. right. And I because, I mean, he's, he's had some big enough contracts there sorry, to, um, to be able to retire. He doesn't mm. need to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have retired after the first year of playing at that, at that kind of money on some yeah. of those bigger contracts, um, he doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. But he's going to get out there, he's going to play, he's going to enjoy himself, that's going to mm-hmm. be fantastic, and he's going to donate the money. And I, I think th- this will actually be really, really good for where his headspace is at and enable him to actually play mm-hmm. much better. And, like, he's not, you know, the Michael Jordan with the big endorsement deals and da 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 Like, he's, that time is... That ship has sailed for him. Like, yes, he's playing in the NBA. Like, this is the top of the top. He's one of the best basketball players in the world, no doubt. But, like, you know, we're not looking at someone who's being philanthropic to boost his career because, like, Bismack Biombo isn't a big name. Like, he he is just in a place where he's like, look, I've, I've got money. You know, I've grinded through my career. I've had all these struggles. And I'm sure, like, during that period where he's earning, like, big dollars, um, like, yeah, you know, there would have been the, the temptation to him where it's like, oh, you know, I'm earning this money. This is mine. Uh, but he's kind of come out of that. And I think definitely after his father passing away, just seeing how much his family is given for him to be able to to live this dream, like going, you know, him the flying over to Yemen to, to play basketball and almost being killed by um, the government because he's Christian, like all these kinds of hectic things. Like he's seen how much people have sacrificed for him, but also like how much God has sacrificed for him, like the position that he's ended up in where he can go and support his family back home. Like, yes, his basketball career is declining, but his ability to be a blessing is def- is definitely isn't. And so, yeah, I, I see this as a fantastic story. And I, I just like, it, it just goes to show like, yeah, God can really work on a person's heart. He's been through the journey and he's realized like there is nothing more important than supporting my people um, and being a blessing to them. So, and praise the Lord for this guy. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess this will be developing and unfolding as he continues to do philanthropic work. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and uh, we would love to hear from you. We just had somebody text through about the NBA basketball player uh, from the Congo. Uh, from zero to three million per year is not bad. To 18 million per year, you just don't know what God has installed for you. Now mm. building hospitals in the Congo, I'm sure God is proud of him. A good headspace to be in. Mm. Great yeah. story there. Very positively different story that uh, Lawson has shared with us. Lawson, let's have our 200-point question for our quiz. All right, for 200 points, what sea was the location of Jesus' calling of Peter and Andrew? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. For 200 points, you can win yourself an issue of Science Magazine, or you can answer every single question correctly and get every single prize, uh, you know, working your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what sea was the location of Jesus calling of Peter and Andrew. 0491-064-669. Okay, so Charles, Charles Stewart University has just released uh, information on racial and religious uh, vilification in Australia mm-hmm. and uh, discrimination. Uh, so this is a fairly small study. Uh, looks at 250 incidents of uh, racial and religious uh, discrimination. The good news about it is that there's only 250, which shows that in Australia we are one of the most uh, welcoming countries in the world. We have mm. you know, the lowest levels of uh, racism and religiousism, I guess you might call it, uh, in Australia. Uh, out of these out of these incidents that they looked at, 138 of them were physical uh, interactions and mm. 109 of them were online and uh, there was 103 victims. Mm. And so out of the 103 victims, obviously uh, most of those would have had more than one uh, incident of uh, Mm. religious or racial vilification. And, of course, this was particularly looking at it from an Islamic perspective and Islamophobia, and what it found was that 85% of the victims were people who wore a hijab. Wow. Wow. 48% 48% of them were women who were uh, alone. Uh, 15% of them were women who were in the company of children. And 12% were women in the company of other women. And so I think this, the, the standout uh, lesson that we draw from this is that uh, the hijab does seem to create a target. Mm. And I don't like the hijab. You know, I don't like what it says about women and all that kind of stuff. But as a Christian, I absolutely respect the religious liberty of somebody to choose to wear that for religious reasons. Mm. Uh, we should not have any any laws against it whatsoever at all. You don't have to like it. It's You don't have to wear it. Mm. You know, they want to wear it then, and that's between them and God. Uh, the other thing that stands out to me here is that obviously these people are going after soft targets. You know, they're going mm. after women. Uh, they're going after women who are alone. Wow. Um, there's lessons here to learn, uh, you know, for women to learn mm. about, uh, you know, being vulnerable members of society and, um, and, and, and just being safe in the mm. way that they um, live their lives. 63% of these incidences that were physical ones, took place in public spaces. And what was interesting was that it spiked by 65% in the two weeks uh, following the Christchurch massacre. Mm. So, yeah, that's some pretty serious stuff there. It's only small numbers, which is good. It does show that we are a very tolerant country here in Australia, and we can praise God for that, probably the most tolerant in the world. Uh, But at the same time, we Mm. always have things to work on. 
Now, this one's an interesting one, and I haven't been on this subject for a while, but it's time to get back to it. This is an environmental one. Uh, This is a new study uh, that was just published in the Journal of Diversity and Distribution. And they have new data on the uh, predation of cats and foxes in Australia. Oh, wow. Okay. And it seems that our old data was just ridiculously out of date. Mm -hmm. And so they're putting the annual burden now at 2.642 billion native animals dying per year. As a a result of of cats cats and foxes. foxes. That's 1.4 billion mammals, that's 700 million reptiles, and that's 510 million birds. And so, you know, several years ago we had the massive bushfires that Mm. went through eastern Australia, wiped out so much of our native population, and it's kind of like the equivalent of a fire like that sweeping from one side of Australia to the other every year. Wow. This is is massive numbers. Uh Um, Of course, cat kills five times higher than fox kills. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other th- thing with this also is that foxes are both easier to shoot and bait. So a fox will res- respond to a fox whistle, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll eat carrion, which you can you know bait with 1080 poison, whereas cats just, they don't eat carrion, they don't respond, they are hard to find, they're very elusive, and so they are you know much easier, you know, they breed up much easier. Seems like there's only one solution, Lyle. Just, just <laughs> juke them. Um, all right this is this this is interesting as well because they've actually got some some hard data on uh the domestic cats right now domestic cats oh wow are killing two million animals across australia annually Mm. which is a lot less than two billion 2.642 billion yeah Yes, but that's still a massive number. Mm. Um, of course, we've got a whole bunch of animals that are uh, predated upon, I'm not sure whether that's the right word, uh, by both species, mm. and those are the ones that are most in danger, things such as bandicoots, rock rats, potteroos, quolls, bitongs, uh, the rufous wallaby, and so forth. So the question is, and what they're really looking at here is where do you start? Mm. And they've come through with some, um, you know, there's some low-hanging fruit out there. Uh, for instance, they've put out that councils need to engage enforced measures to keep cats contained. And this is domestic cats. And so, you know, you go around your average suburb and you're going to find cats wandering around all over the place. They're not contained in people's backyards. Mm. They climb fences. They go kind of wherever they want. And they need, they're saying, look, if, you, if councils enforce measures to keep cats enclosed and contained, then what's going to happen is that you're going to save 2 million animals per year to begin with. That's a, that's a big chunk. But not only that, you're going to slow the breeding of ferals because a lot of feral cats live around town, and, of course, they breed with domestic cats. Mm. And the more we can slow that breeding, then the more we can keep this under control. Uh, they have invented what's called the Felixer, uh, which uses facial recognition. When it sees a cat, it sprays poison onto the cat's fur, uh, cats like to lick stuff off their fur, and so they lick it off and they get poisoned. This seems to be, you know, the best solution for cats because they don't. we can't really control them that well with 1080. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that they've said is they need, we need to control feral goats, and this was interesting. Uh, the numbers of feral goats promote cats living in the environment, feral cats living in the environment, because feral cats don't do well where there is thick undergrowth. So if you get rid of the feral goats, the undergrowth comes back and the cats move on. 
and they've noticed this in a number of locations where native species have climbed dramatically mm. after getting rid of the feral goats. Um, also controlling rabbits because they are a food source. There's places where the Khaleesi virus uh, and, of course, myxomatosis and so forth, forth in the past has reduced the feral cat population by reducing the number of rabbits available for them to eat. And finally, fencing. You know, just, just put build up, fences. Just build fences and create native animal sanctuaries uh, seems to be, you know, one of the ways that that needs to take place. I think the lesson that we can all learn from this one is that while there might not be much that we can do, we can control our pets mm. and make sure that our pets have no access to the environment. Our pet cats have no access to the environment. Uh, so keep them locked up, uh, either inside the house or in a cat run, and you will do wonderful things for our amazing Australian environment that God has given to us. Okay, last story here. This is about social media. And this is some new recommendations that have just been handed to the federal government that uh, they put through legislation that social media companies uh, change default. Uh, there's a number of recommendations here. First one is change default privacy settings to be child safe um, on all of their apps. Mm. Uh, the apps then also need to come with parental controls, and the social media companies, they're saying that here in Australia we need to demand that they hand over their algorithms because they have noticed that the algorithms, you know, are causing all kinds of things amongst our young people to from radicalisation to eating disorders to gender dysphoria, um, all being driven by social media algorithms, which is, you know, driving, our, driving deep wedges into our society. Mm. And so those algorithms need to be handed over to government. So at least the government knows what's going on and can decide whether there is legislation that is needed. Uh, so far, social media companies have done nothing except for what makes them money. Mm. And they're saying this could be added to the anti-trolling bill that is going through at the moment uh, and that parents need to be given the opportunity to monitor, block and filter. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is the breakfast show here on Faith FM. Some interesting text messages coming through about cats. We'll have to stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll do it after the eight o'clock news. Uh, right now, we're going to have the three hundred point question for our quiz. All right, for three hundred points, where did Jesus pray and his disciples sleep the night he was betrayed and arrested? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call for three hundred points. You can net yourself a pocket sermon, or you can get those points on the board. Get every single question correct, win every single prize. But again, that question was, where did Jesus pray and his disciples sleep the night he was betrayed and arrested? Okay. Fantastic stuff. Well, joining us on the phone this morning, as always, seeing as it's Wednesday, is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Morning, gentlemen, and again, good morning to your listeners. David, it's great to have you on the show again. And, you know, we've been uh, we've, we've faced some major flood disasters uh, here in Australia, other parts of the world are dealing with other different disasters. So what, what I'm wondering this morning is what is the emotional danger signs that we need to look out for that indicates an unhealthy response to critical incidents? Well, when a critical incident happens, uh, we normally will experience initial shock. For some people, there might be some level of denial. Um, but what I have already picked up, and I'm just talking about emotional because there's some physical uh, signs as well, 
But what I'm starting to pick up is is uh, anger that starts to uh, you know and a tendency to want to blame, uh, blame governments, local governments, what should have been done in in advance. Um, there's moodiness, there's depression that settles in. Now, I, I just want to stop there for a second and remind us that uh, the the same people that have been impacted right now were impacted by floods in 2017. Yes. So they've had, a, they've, had a, they've had a double whammy. And, and, and I just want to mention to our listeners, in case uh, you haven't been following uh, David and haven't been following this story, is that you are pretty much at ground zero for the floods and you're working every day with people who are dealing with this. And so this is what you are, these are the things that you are seeing on a daily basis right now working with those people. Correct. At the moment, we see houses that are basically shells. People uh, had to move out. My own church is deemed inhabitable, uh, and we've got to move out. We actually had our church service outside because inside the the water damage and the uh, the growth of the mildew is just so much that we can't worship in there. So people are experiencing major losses in their life. That that causes them to uh, get angry. There, there's blame games that are starting to affect them. Uh, but I also picked up as I started to do, to do some critical incident uh, debriefing with individuals that there's a level of grief that starts to come. In other words, people that have not been so much impacted than others are starting to express their grief. There's frustration, there's fear, there's hypervigilance. We've had a number of showers um, since the, the floods and I even felt in myself as, as the, the rain started to pound down, um, I felt, you know, is this going to be another one or is it just a short-lived one? And people actually articulated that to me. In worst-case scenarios, there is the suicidal ideation where people just felt that they've uh, had enough. Because not only have we had 2017, the floods, and now, but in between, we've had a major incident, namely COVID. We've not only isolated people from each other, but also created an intense fear in the hearts of people. So in combination, put all of that in combination, we start to see a form of uh, early post-traumatic stress symptoms starting to appear. Now, on a physical level, we see people becoming more restless, fatigued. They, their sleep um, is disturbed. They, some have eating disturbances, uh, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, and heart palpitation, and in worst-case scenarios, even vomiting and diarrhea uh, as the stress to start to, to impact their life. Those are all danger signs that actually says that this critical incident that we've been through uh, is being taken up into the body in an unhealthy form, and this individual really needs help. Some of these symptoms that you're describing as physical symptoms um, similar to panic attacks, are we seeing people having increase with panic attacks? Correct. Yes, very true. And, so and what is a, what is a panic attack a sign of? Is that a sign that you are heading a certain direction and that you need to address your emotional health, or is it a sign that you've reached it? 
you've basically reached it. You actually have reached the point where anxiety is starting to take control of your life instead of you taking control of it. And it's an indication that you need help. Um, Often going to a medical doctor, they would prescribe medication. Uh, I would suggest that that is not necessarily the only option because there are other. It's very interesting, Lyle, that in a panic attack, we have a heart palpitation, we've got hyperventilation, we've got muscle spasm or muscle uh, tremors and uh, sweatiness, sweaty palms. And when you and I do strenuous exercise, we actually go through exactly the, the same symptoms. And right. this is where this is where therapy using exercise as a therapeutic modality actually helps to normalize those signs and you recognize that you're not gonna die because I experience this every time that I go and do exercise. And uh, uh, Professor John Ruttie therefore says that the first prescription that doctors and psychiatrists should give their patients that suffers with major stress and anxiety is exercise because as they exercise, they actually, there's a brain chemical changes that takes place and the stress levels are reduced. Yeah, so this was the next thing that I was going to get to. We've got a large portion of our population in your region uh, and in a number of other regions around Australia right now that are really suffering from, well, I mean, your region, as you pointed out, has been hit twice in you know, 2017, 2022, with uh, you know a 100-year flood in 2017, a 500-year flood in 2022. Uh, and so a lot of these people have had their homes and their possessions wiped out twice. Um, and so they're going through all these things like anger and blame and moodiness and depression and... Um, grief and you know hypervigilance and so forth. Um, what do they actually? What what constructive things can they do about it? What do they need to be doing right now? If they if they you know I mean I look at the news this morning, and there are headlines about you know anger, residents angry, um, angry at the government, angry at you know whoever, you know the councils, angry at. I guess you know there's people that are angry at God and so forth. Um, there's a lot yeah. of anger that is going around. How does a person actually deal with that? I mean, is this something where they, where their best option is to, you know, go down to the local council and to yell and scream at somebody, or are they better off to go and do some hard physical exercise, or to start, you know, working on their house? What, what are the, what are the things that, what are the really healthy things that a person can do when they're experiencing this? Because these seem to be natural responses to a, a traumatic in, a situation. Correct. So I can give free reign to the destructive emotions that actually will take me further down the gurgle and further destroy my life. Or, as I've seen so many people during these floods, as as the rain had still not yet stopped, I saw people whose houses were completely flooded in uh, grab canoes or grab uh, a tinny and started rescuing other people. Uh, in other words, completely putting their, their focus into uh, away from themselves into helping other people. 
it is vital that we create opportunities by which we can talk through our emotions with people that are that are well trained. For the past two weekends uh, in my church, uh, the, the first one we still had access to our building. The second one last weekend we sat outside, but we did a critical incident debriefing sessions with people, and uh, I had 35 people there outside of my church where we just let them uh, using photographs. Uh, randomly chosen photographs that I put out on a table and said, people, go and have a look at those photographs. Select for me a photograph that you ident- can identify the current emotions that you experience with that photograph. And they each selected, went and sat down, and they started to share why they chose that photograph. So where's the focus? The focus is on the photograph, but in reality, when they open their mouth, they are declaring, they're sharing what is happening internally. And as we experience sharing with people, identifying the emotions that they are expressing, helping them to understand that that is fairly normal uh, when we go through a traumatic event, but also giving them tools on how to move forward. And tools to how to move forward is an fact One of those is to look away from your own needs to help other people. It is about exercise. It is about making sure that uh, you actually disconnect from those things that you cannot control and focus on that which you can control. Critical areas that help you to, to, to survive during a critical incident. That's interesting you said disconnect from those things that you cannot control. Now, obviously, we can't control the rain. We can't control the weather. Uh, and yet there are a lot of people who are blaming the government for not having controlled the rain and weather and so forth, you know, with uh, climate change and these kind of things. Is there, is it constructive to be, you know, be to looking to the government at this particular time and, you know, pointing the finger there? I mean, maybe there, maybe there is some culpability there. I believe that there is a time for that, but right now is not that time. Right now, people need to uh, make sure that they look after themselves and the people around them. And um, once that is done, then a person can constructively start to look at solutions for the future. One of the criti- one of the factors in doing a critical incident uh, recovery is to look at how we can, in actual fact, change things for the future. Because we know that, uh, as, as Bible students, we know that there will be more and more disasters coming. So how can we strategically set things up and if the government needs to be uh, informed or things need to be changed in government, it is then that we do that. But right now, processing our emotions is something completely different. Um, I, I was so focused on helping people around me and in the community and guiding our churches that I never even thought about my wife's vehicle that was actually parked in Lismore at the garage to be repaired. Mm. It was uh, just, uh, you know, Friday last week that uh, my wife and I, because she was also very much focused on reaching out to the community and and helping them, uh, that I said to her, I need to go to Lismore to support the people, take some products to to help the community. I'm going to pop around at the garage to see how the car is. Well, the car is completely flooded. Yes. Um, uh, 
the, the healthy response out of that, what what helped us to, to process all of that loss is the fact that throughout the entire flood, our focus was not on ourselves, it was on other people. To the point where you didn't even stop and think about the fact that the car was way underwater and that it was in Lismore, which was, uh, you know, the... Uh, 14 metres, 14 <laughs> metres uh, water that, that went through the CBD. It, it is just extraordinary. Um, my own church and so many other churches just opening their doors, focusing on helping people. My own church was flooded, but uh, teams went out into the community to see where they could help. And I saw that same spirit, not just in my church, but in so many other people that were sometimes worse off than the people that they were serving. Yeah, it's amazing, David. It's fantastic. Hey, one more quick question before we finish up. Um, you mentioned that, you know, it's a heavy rain of shower come, starts to come through and you feel that tension come into your body, um, that hypervigilance coming in. In that moment, what do you do? In that moment, I ask myself the question, can I control this? Secondly, I ask what is the danger involved right now? Uh, just yesterday, a, a, uh, a massive just downpour just suddenly happened. I was uh, in Malambimbi that, that looked like the war zone uh, a week ago. And uh, I sensed that emotion within me. There's nothing I could do about it. I was not in danger. Yes, the road could be cut off if it doesn't stop. But um, right there, I just, I, I just, you know, make an assessment of it, and uh, I realise that most probably it will just pass, and therefore I just take a deep breath and I refocus on what I was busy with. Mm. It's really practical. Uh, the, 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 yep. the problem with anxiety is that we start to become fixated on that which is outside of my control. Mm. David, this is very practical information you're sharing with us this morning uh, from your experiences on the ground. We look forward to hearing more. Right now, we have to move on with the show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.